name of the risen Lord. Amen. Please uh, pardon me if on this joyful and festive morning I peek back just a bit to the days leading up to that which we celebrate on this Easter day. Some folks have been moving through this past Holy Week with minds focused on the, the prequel uh, to today's drama, but some may not have been paying as much attention. It's uh, been a story that would be quite in keeping uh, with the news from various places of violence around our world today. Syria, Afghanistan, parts of Africa come to mind, as well as anywhere that condones uh, torture and assassination. A popular leader, a young rabbi in this case, is arrested, tortured and assassinated. And uh, after 2,000 years, it's still a nasty world out there. And even people with good intentions can do bad things. And then, in the middle of the story, something happens. Something was experienced by a few that changed things for many. David Moxon, was the former Anglican Archbishop of New Zealand, once wrote, the arrest, trial, torture, and crucifixion of Jesus occupied the largest single incident in any one of the four Gospels, yet when it comes to the details of the resurrection itself, the event that transcends and transforms the tragedy, there is hardly a coherent attempt to record them in any of the Gospels. And if you look at the different accounts, of course, they all vary across the and, uh, perhaps this is because the event itself didn't and doesn't fit into any of the known categories of knowledge or understanding. The resurrection is an event without comparison. But human beings often have difficulty accepting something so vague and undefined. We crave something we can get our hands on, something tangible. And a few years ago, there was some breathless commentary on on a so-called uh, news program about a scientist, so-called, in Colorado who wanted to challenge the research that was done 30 years ago by Oxford University on the Shroud of Turin, supposedly the shroud that actually wrapped Jesus' body. And um, their research showed what most people had long believed, that it was a medieval forgery. Maybe they got it wrong, though, this new true believer explained, and now we can prove something or other in a scientific way about the death of Jesus. This, of course, is literal-minded and superficial, but then no popular TV program can stick around long enough uh, for mystery to be encountered. They need a quick uh, um, bit of video and uh, some sound bites, and then off to the next commercial. I think the same can be said for some approaches to religion as a sort of self-help quick fix. That's not the way the soul works. And I would note that what Christianity is about has little to do with either proving or disproving the passion story and the resurrection. Neither is it about selling people on some kind of mechanism that will get them resurrected when they die so long as they do say or believe some practice, uh, prayer, or creed. We do know, however, at quite a remove, but nonetheless for certain, that whatever did happen with Jesus and his close friends during the events of the Passion had an incontrovertible impact on a group of people 
which quite transformed their lives. And as Luke noted in today's reading from Acts, we are witnesses to all that he did in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses. Markson went on to say, so what are we left with? There's no proof either way in the scientific sense for or against the resurrection of Christ. In the end, a belief in Easter is a decision of mind and the heart. You can believe that something remarkable occurred that has gone on recreating the world ever since. By the triumph of life over death, of love over hate, of light over darkness. Or you can believe that life and death, love and hate, light and darkness are evenly matched. And there's no ultimate power for good that's stronger than death. But the decision you make about Easter will profoundly affect the way you live for the rest of your life. Now, of course, some things are, are more tangible than others in our Easter um, lilies and our joyful music and the promise of spring in the air are things we can comprehend and get our hands around, whether or not we travel through Good Friday to get there. A colleague of mine once uh, remembered that um, a little girl in her Sunday school class before she went to, to seminary had been given a scene of the open tomb to be colored in and she had drawn an Easter bunny with a basket of candy just outside the tomb. The priest said, imagine that, resurrection, eternal life and a basket of candy. What more could you ask for? <laughs> now there's a slightly sadder story. Uh, Martin Bell uh, um, who is an, is an Episcopal priest, a writer, and, and a private detective. He wrote a book called The Way of the Wolf, which is a wonderful book. He uh, was a keynote speaker at a clergy conference I attended when I was much younger than I am now. And uh, we gathered in a less formal setting, and he remembered being a young seminarian assigned to help with the Christian education of a large parish. Uh, the children were also coloring in the tomb. A little girl, whom we shall call Jessica, also drew the Easter bunny and a message that said, Happy Easter. Now this was a long time ago, so we have to forgive the teacher who took away her drawing and crumpled it up saying, Jessica, Easter isn't about bunnies, it's about Jesus. Now that ended, that was the last day of his assignment to that parish. Uh, so he said he never knew what happened to Jessica. Did she die that night of a broken heart? Um, did she, because she went away from the Sunday school, kind of crumpled herself, uh, did she become a Buddhist? Um, he didn't know. But what he did know was that he wished he had had the courage to interrupt at that point and say, no, Jessica, Easter isn't about Jesus, it's about you. And I think, whether we're young or old, we need to realize that Easter isn't so much about Jesus, it's about us. Now, Christianity may or may not make much sense to you, and there are bits of it I have some real doubts about uh, when it comes to creeds and doctrines and the piled-up heritage of the centuries. You live with it, but um, uh, you know best how you think or feel about these things. But the idea, and back then, some sort of experience, whatever it was that they had, uh, of resurrection, of rebirth, of an affirmation of life over death, of love over hate, of renewal over decay, 
uh, was a powerful one, and is a powerful one yet. Jesus stands for life, for freedom, for freshness, and uh, he died in authenticity. We cannot know what the events of his resurrection were like exactly, and the Gospels are but a faint and contradictory echo of whatever it was that changed their lives. But perhaps it was a connection to the interconnectedness of all life that transcended death and made them feel his presence in this new reality they had entered. Maybe he had finally opened the channel for them, the channel that he knew that connected him to God and which he'd been trying so hard to get them to understand. I have to say that for myself, I find I come back more and more to the young rabbi with so much to teach and give, with love and compassion to spare, and to the cruel reception he received on earth. And in some ways, I hate to say it, but perhaps the world is condemned to be a place of cruelty from age to age. And there is no utopia in our future. Thomas More knew this when he wrote the book describing a wonderful realm of of peace and justice and reason. Uh, For the title of the book, Utopia, means, of course, nowhere. (laughs) But does that mean we are to remain bereft and forlorn? No, I do not believe that, for the young rabbi still speaks to us in all that he said, all that he did, and all that he was, including those aspects of his being in his passion and resurrection that were beyond the limits uh, and comprehension of his disciples and often remain out of reach for us as well. For God gave him the power to touch those he loved beyond the cross and the grave, and to revive their spirits, to show them that life is good, and the victory really is to the meek and peaceful. Whatever else the resurrection did, it called them into a new life and a new purpose, and it calls me as well, and I pray that it calls you also. It calls us today into the body of faith, the ecclesia, the people chosen and called out from the cruel world, to redeem that world and to heal that world by being Jesus' ongoing presence from generation to generation. There's nobody else, it's us. (laughs) We may mess up ourselves from time to time. We may take our own turn at nailing him to the cross. The church has got plenty of history of that. Just as we may suffer if we truly follow. But always, the presence of the divine love hovers over the mystery of life to redeem our mistakes, uh, to heal our suffering, and to draw us into the resurrection of hope and the promise of new life and newness of life. They crucified him, but he lives. And in him we can find the inspiration, the breathing in of uh, the divine breath. In him we can find our lives rooted in the holy and rich ground of being, drawing up the nourishment of the water of life. In him we can find the courage that will allow our souls to take flight as we learn to use our spiritual wings and lift off from this plane of existence to see the beauty that God has in mind for all of creation and to take our part in building the kingdom.